Hey everybody, we'd like to welcome you to the Ewok Podcast. We hope your day's going good. This is the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church located in Wilton, Maine. And today we're going to hear a message from Robbie Locke, our senior pastor. We hope that it's a blessing to your life and that God uses it to help you walk closer with him. And our prayer is that you would grow closer to him in truth and in love. Well, without further ado, here's Pastor Robbie. It's interesting that in the Word of God, when the Bible describes people that do not know the Lord, there are a couple of words that come up frequently. One of those words is the word enemy. Now, I would assume that if we went out into the street and asked the average person if they considered themselves to be an enemy of God, the vast majority of people would say, of course not. But we need to understand what God says about them, not what they say about themselves. The Bible says they are enemies. And another word that appears often in the Bible is a rebel, someone who is rebellious. Notice here in Colossians 1.21, and you that were sometime, he's talking to the believers, he said, this is what your life was like in the past, before you knew the Lord. He said, you were sometime what? Alienated from God. Not only are you alienated, he says, as unbelievers, you are enemies in your minds. Now we would say, well, in your works, yes, but how in your minds? Listen, you never do anything until you first think about it. That's why the evil within us begins in our minds. And then it says, enemies in your mind by what? By wicked works. And what most people don't understand is that even the good things that they do in the eyes of God are tainted by their sinful flesh and are unacceptable to him. But once we get saved, we can say, that's what I was. But notice the end of the verse. Yet now, as a believer, hath he reconciled. We're not alienated from God today, man. We're not enemies of God today. We're not, hopefully, living out wicked works in our lives. Hopefully, we're doing good works for the glory of God. Now, when it comes to believers, sadly, there are a couple of words that are used in the New Testament about some believers. The Bible says that some believers are carnal. Now, by the way, I don't believe in a category of carnal Christians. In other words, I don't believe there's two kinds of Christians, spiritual Christians and carnal Christians, and you can be one or the other, but you're still a Christian. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that we are all supposed to be spiritual Christians walking with God under the control of the Spirit. That's supposed to be true of every Christian. And it's only when we're not walking in the Spirit that we're carnal. But Christians can also be, none of us of course, but our neighbors can be what? Rebellious sometimes. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 3, Paul writes to the Corinthian believers who his book corrects more in this church than in any other New Testament epistle. This church was really messed up in many ways. He said, and you are still carnal. And then he defines what that means. 
For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal? And here's the definition. Behaving like mere men? What he's saying is a carnal Christian is someone who professes to know the Lord, but they're living like the unsaved. But that is not how we are supposed to live our lives. We are supposed to submit our lives to God, to live in humility and in holiness before him. Now, sometimes to define a particular word, it helps us to know what it's not. It's good to have a positive definition, but sometimes knowing what it's not helps us as well. And I want to talk about submission today and what submission is not. Submission to God is not living only for self. Now, there's not a one of us here today that doesn't live for self. You have to, or you die. Right? You get up in the morning. First thing I do is wash my face, hoping it'll change something, but it never fixes anything. These days I cut my hair short enough, I don't have to comb it. But you know what? There are certain things that you and I have to do. We take care of ourselves, don't we? We live a life of self. Uh, I'm going to eat my lunch when I get home today. I'm going to probably take a rest this afternoon. There's all kinds of things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm not talking about that. Because God expects us to do those things. But there's a difference between taking care of yourself in a practical, normal way and living a life that is devoted to self. You can't be submitted to God and submitted to yourself. You can't have God in control and you in control at the same time. It has to be one or the other. Submission is not living only for self. It is not living your life for your own praise and honor. Do you know there are people who do all kinds of good things in the world, but they make sure that everybody knows it? Remember the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They did all kinds of good things. Remember Jesus said of them, do the things they say, just don't do the things they do. They're teaching you some good things, but they aren't living out what they teach. As we say about the preacher, he needs to practice what he preaches, right? Well, so do you. You need to practice what I preach too, as long as it lines up with the Word of God. But if your whole life is about bringing attention to yourself, of getting people to pat you on the back, then you're in trouble because you are not submitting to God. Submission is an issue of lordship. Submission is an issue of mastery. Who is your Lord? Who is your master today? Are you do what you doing what you do for the glory of God or for your own glory? You know, sometimes there are people who do for God today because they want to make sure God will do for them tomorrow. Like I said, I hope that's never any of us. But, you know, there are some people who think, if I read my Bible every day, and if I pray every day, and if I go to church, when I need something, God better show up. And they'd better do it quick. That's your attitude, folks. 
That's a very sinful thing. Do you know that your motivations are very important to God? Not just what you do, but why you do it. Living only for self is living life only to satisfy our own selfish desires. Do you do what you want or do you do what God wants? Now, we hope those are the same, right? We hope that what God wants is what we want. But is what God wants always what we want? I don't know about you, but sometimes I kind of tend to go my own way. By the way, how much of your time is God's? Now, there's lots of ways to answer that question, right? But the real true answer is, how much of our time is God's? All of it, right? I mean, we're supposed to live 24-7 for the glory of God. Yes or no? Yes. But have you ever found yourself saying, I'll do my devotions today if I get time? Anyone ever said that in your whole life, ever? You've never, ever said that in your whole life. Wow. Well, there's an awful sinner standing behind the pulpit up here this morning. Because I have found myself at times saying, well, I hope I get time, because I'm going to be busy today, so I hope I get time for the Lord. I will pray if I have time. I will go to church if I have time. You know what someone said to me at this church, on the way out the door one Sunday morning? This church. I'll be back next something, and next Sunday, unless something else comes up. I, was, I, I must admit I was surprised. Now, there's probably some people that maybe think that after hearing a sermon of mine, but I, you know, I, I just never expect to say, well, if I, have, if, I, you know, if I can, nothing else comes up, I'll, I'll be back next week. Folks, I don't know about you, but I, of course, I'm the pastor, so I know I have to be here. But I want to tell you something, folks. When I'm gone or when I'm whatever, I'm in church somewhere. You want to know why? Because going to church to me is very important. To me, it's a step of obedience to the Lord. And to me, the way I ought to live my life is, I'm going to be in church unless a star falls and lands on my house and destroys everything, and that might keep me from getting dressed and get to church Sunday morning. In other words, my plan is to do what? Put the Lord first on the Lord's day and get to his house. Serving the Lord if I have time. Living for personal pleasures. By the way, there are many legitimate earthly joys. Aren't there? Many legitimate earthly joys. But here's my question to you. Does doing God's will bring you as much joy as the legitimate earthly joys in this world? And the reason I ask the question is, if Doing God's will brings me that much joy. Will it not bring God's will to the top of my priority list? I mean, I love going out and, and taking a ride in the countryside and, you know, seeing a beautiful waterfall or doing all... I mean, those are all kinds of... Those are wonderful things. And I enjoy them. 
But I want to tell you something. What gives me greatest joy is when I know I've just done the will of God. I've done what pleases Him. You remember this verse. Matthew 16, 25 and 26. For whosoever will what? Save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This basically describes an attitude toward life. Are you living for this life and to enjoy it as much as you possibly can, even when those things are legitimate things? Or are you living in this life for the glory of God and for eternity, which will include many of those earthly joys, but involves a whole lot of other things too? Submission to God is not living only for self. Submission to God is not seeking to please men. Seeking to please men. I put this down in my notes today. You have not submitted to God if you are living to please people. You remember this verse? Paul is writing to the Galatians. And he said, For do I now persuade men or God or do I seek to please men for if I yet please men I should not be what the servant of Christ the context of Galatians chapter 1 is the preservation of the pure gospel of Christ there were Judaizers going around who were teaching that in order to be saved you had to first convert as a Gentile to Judaism and the men had to be circumcised. And once they were circumcised, then they could convert to Christ and be saved. So in other words, circumcision was a requirement for salvation. And they were going about the churches and they were upsetting the Gentiles. I can't even imagine in today's world if I had to get up and preach the gospel and say, if you want to get saved, guys, we're going to have a circumcision after the morning service. I'm glad I don't have to preach that message today. But Paul writes and he said, listen, I am defending the gospel. You are in danger because you're in danger of moving away from the true gospel, which is by grace, through faith, totally apart from works, and you're going back under the works of the law. He said, listen, if anyone preaches that way, let them be accursed. So he says, listen, if I were pleasing men, guess what? I'd just go along. But oh no. He says, I, I'm submitted to God. I want to I please God, so I'm not going to be the servant of men. I'm going to be the servant of Christ, no matter what that costs me. Do you remember dear old Elijah in the Old Testament? On top of Mount Carmel? Remember when he called down the fire from heaven? Do you remember who was standing on the opposite side of the battle that day? Only 850 false prophets. That's pretty good, huh? 850 to 1. And what did he do? He stood there in front of all of them, after giving them, by the way, hours to call upon their false god, and nothing happened. He basically said, step back, boys. Don't want you to get singed with a fire. No, that's kind of my, you know. But he told them, 
to step back. And he prayed out loud and said, Father, and the Father sent the fire down from heaven and consumed up the altar and so on. And then he took the 850 false prophets down by the brook Cherith and slew them all. You're not going to do that unless your purpose is to please God. Do you remember Joshua in the Old Testament? Joshua succeeded Moses as the leader of the children of Israel as they went into the promised land. And there were time after time after time that the people compromised and walked away from God and fell into sin. And Joshua confronts them one day with these words. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. He's the one leader looking at a nation of people who are in disobedience to God. And he said, you have a choice to make. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. He said, choose between those false gods and who? The Lord. As for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. Is that your attitude today? The world may be one way. Even other Christians may be a certain way. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will do the will of God. Our lives are submitted to the Lord. We're not going to please men. We're going to please God. Submission is not loving and living for this world. You know what the Bible says about the things of this world? They're all passing away. Even those legitimate joys, right, in the world, they're all passing away. This world is going to burn one day, be completely destroyed. And there's enough, a lot of stuff in this world that we cherish, that we hold dear. We have our homes, and we have our property, and we have the, you know, the things within our home, and we have, there's all kinds of things we have, and with, are, are we not thankful for them? But I want to tell you something, you don't take any of it with you. It's all going to be left behind to somebody and then one day at some point in the future everything that still exists at the end of time is going to be utterly destroyed because the things of this world what they pass away even earthly pleasures legitimate pleasures do you understand that in this world you can have a lot of fun good legitimate fun I mean that's okay isn't it if I invited you and paid your way, how many would go to a Red Sox game with me? Oh, there's three of you. The rest of you are fibbing. Whatever the activity. If I pay and take you, will you go? Yeah. I mean, most of us, if there's something that we're really excited about, there's a lot of legitimate pleasures. Nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with them. But folks, the Christian life is not just a life of fun. You know what some of the words the Bible uses to talk about the Christian life? Here's one, sacrifice. Is that a part of the Christian life? Just go like this if that's a part of the Christian life. It is, sacrifice. What about this word, cost? 
Have we been told to count the cost? What about, ooh, here's a really good one. We're excited about this one. Suffering. The truth is, most of us want to have as much fun as we can. And I'm just talking about legitimate stuff. We want to enjoy how many get out of bed in the morning saying, Oh, I hope I suffer today. How many do that? No, we do it. We get up and say, I hope I can get through this day with the least trouble possible. Isn't that how we live our lives? And Jesus said, in the world, you'll have what? You'll have tribulation. You and I can't live just for earthly pleasures, even just the legitimate ones. We understand that we are going to suffer. We're going to have to sacrifice. We're going to pay a price. And that requires us to have earthly priorities. While we're here on earth, we have to have priorities. And those priorities have to be spiritual priorities. How many love stuff? Stuff. Things. How many, if you've got the money, could spend it? I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just an awful sinner. I, I think you ought to fire me and get yourself a good preacher. You, you know, I, I, the last three times I've gone into Walmart after standing out in the sun for 25 minutes waiting to get in. How many love that? Hmm? But when I finally got in there and I get, you know, I usually, I've, lately I've had to go in for prescriptions or whatever, so I go up and I tell them and they say, uh, do you need to shop? Yeah, okay. So in other words, 20, 25, 30 minutes, I have to walk around. I start walking around and I pick up the two or three items that I, that I know that I need. And you know lately where I've ended up time after time? So, I mean, you're going to say, how ridiculous. I find myself every time I go to Walmart walking by the toasters. Have you ever had a toaster that only cooked one side of the bread? <laughs> now, it's bad enough you can only cook two slices at a time, right? You know? But when you've got to cook two slices and then turn them around and cook them again? And I finally convinced myself that I had put up with this suffering long enough and I was going to go in and every time I've gone in there I've had it until this last time and there wasn't a toaster available. <laughs> Just the ones that were on the shelf to show you them. You can't take them. The ones in the boxes, literally every one of them was gone. And two weeks ago there was 20. Now I don't know who has problems with toast. But you know what? I literally stood there, and I, and I, and I, I looked at this, and I, I, my jaw dropped, and I said, this can't be. How, how is it possible that in two weeks at this Walmart, there's not a single toaster? But I literally stood there, and you know what the thought came to my mind? I'm serious. This thought came, I didn't want it to come. But it came to my mind, and I felt like the Lord said to me, Robbie, you don't need it yet. You know, sometimes we have priorities, and that's, you know, a toaster. I mean, I wasn't talking about buying a Monte Carlo or something, you know. I'm just talking about a dumb old toaster. 
I like stuff. But you know, I need to remember every single thing that I possess already belongs to God. And it might, must be at His disposal to use as He wants. And the other day at least, He didn't want me spending $16.97 on a toaster. Now, I can't promise you I'm never going to get that toaster. Especially if the second side stops cooking. But folks, I don't want to have my priorities things that will pass away. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Now I know that those all refer to negative things, right? I understand that. But he says, the things of this world, he said, they are not of the Father, but are of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. If you want you and what you do to last forever, make sure that what you do is the will of God. That will last forever. Make sure that when you spend that $10 or that $16.97, you know it is truly the moment to spend that money because God has made that clear. He said, well, can't we just buy stuff when we want it? I mean, we, we, we just... Think about it. You know what? When I really think about what God wants, I usually have to cut down my shopping list. I'm talking about food stuff. Because I don't know how it manages, but chips and all that stuff kind of managed to get on that list as I'm headed for the store. Right now, because of my diabetes, I can't be eating chips, and I can't be eating this. I, can't. I, I had to go through, and literally, I, had, I, I, I worked. Do you ever, anyone have a to-do list, and you, as you run out of stuff, you put a list? And, so I had this list I'd built up over two or three weeks. And I picked it up, and I looked at it, and I just said, after seeing the doctor this last week, because you know what? My priority can't be what I want. It has to be what? The will of God. And it's his will for me to be healthy so that I can accomplish the task he's called me to do. Now, to whom should we submit? The answer to that question is very simple. Submit yourselves who? To God. But the question is, why do we submit to God? Let me do these quickly here. First of all, we need to submit to God because he's our creator. He is the one who made us. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is what? He's God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are whose people? We are his people. And the sheep of his pasture. You belong to God. You're one of his people. You're one of his sheep. He is responsible for you. And you are responsible to him. Because he's creator. Secondly, because he has sent his son to save us. You know, if there's no other reason in the world that we ought to obey God, is because he deserves our complete allegiance because he bought us with the blood of his son. What a tremendous price to pay for us. 
For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. He's talking to the Jews there. He said, listen, you're not redeemed through paying money, giving gold. You're not saved through the tradition of your fathers. But how are we saved? With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Think of the price that was paid for you. You should not be living for yourself, but for the one who died and rose again to make your salvation possible. You owe it not only to God the Father for saving you, you owe it to God the Son for paying the price for your salvation. And that he, Christ, died for all, that they which live, who are those that live? Those are those who become true Christians that those who live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. We should submit ourselves to God in gratitude to Christ for the sacrifice that he made for each of us. We submit to God lastly because he has given us his spirit to indwell us. Now, what are the implications of that? Many, many times when we think about the Holy Spirit living in us, we say, yes, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit indwells us. But think about that. Think about that. Do you ever, when you know you have company coming, straighten up your house a little bit? Do you ever go through... Kind of clean things up, make sure things are in place, and so on. I mean, anyone ever do that? Think about who has come to live inside of us. The Spirit of God, and his first part of his title, because the Holy Spirit doesn't have a name, it's a title, the Holy Spirit. What, what is the first part of the title? Holy. And if he's living in us, what kind of dwelling does he want to live in? He wants to live in a holy dwelling. The Spirit has come to take up residence, but he's also taken up ownership. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own. You don't belong to yourself anymore, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. What does it mean to glorify God? It means to manifest the glory of God through your life, so that his glory is reflected in you, out to others. And where are you to glorify God? In your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In other words, in not only your material person, but your immaterial person as well. Glorify God on the outside and glorify God on the inside. Why? Because your body and your spirit have been purchased by God. And you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God. I listened to a message last night by a wonderful, wonderful evangelist and gospel preacher named Stephen Larson. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Powerful message. He made a statement that I wrote down. He was preaching the gospel and he was talking about how salvation is absolutely free. <laughs> 
But at a given moment in his message, he made this statement. He said, salvation is free, but it will cost you absolutely everything. Salvation is free, but it will cost you absolutely everything, body and soul and spirit. Because part of salvation is the repentance of our sin and turning away from sin to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Too many want to pray a prayer so they can get fire insurance and get to heaven someday. And God says, no, I'm not giving you fire insurance. I'm giving you a life to live right now for my glory. That's what I'm offering you. I'll come in and forgive your sins. I will give you a brand new nature. I will give you the Holy Spirit to indwell you, to help you, to strengthen you, and then you will live for my glory until the time at which Jesus comes or you depart to be with me. But are we willing to submit to God? Stories told of Alexander the Great with a small company of soldiers, he arrived at a very well-fortified city. And he stood out in front and, and called out to the king of this particular kingdom and asked him to come to the wall. And the king came to the top of the wall and the, he said to the king, he said, you need to surrender to me or we will destroy you. But we will enter this city and we will, many of you will die. Or you can surrender right now. The king's response to him was, why should I surrender to you? Why should I submit to you? Alexander the Great said, watch for just a moment. He went over to a group of his soldiers, and over to this side was a massive cliff alongside where this city was. And he said to his soldiers, he said, turn and march that direction. And they started marching. And they're coming closer and closer to the edge of the cliff. And he kept his mouth closed. And the first ten soldiers stepped off the cliff and fell to their death. Then he stopped them. And he walked back to the king and he says, now do you think you ought to submit to me? What was he saying? These men are prepared to submit themselves to me to the point of death. Are you prepared to submit yourself? If you don't, you will die. And it's said of that story that they opened the gates and let them in. Because if his men trusted him that much and were willing to die for him, they had better listen to what he had to say. Because those men were going to take that city one way or the other. Are you willing to be obedient to the ruler of the universe, Jesus Christ, as those soldiers were to Alexander the Great? What are you to submit? You to submit yourself. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's the very least thing that you and I can do. You need to submit your will and your affections to God. 
You need to make sure that what you want to do and what you desire in this world are things that line up with God's revealed will in the scriptures. You need to submit your time and your talents to God. 24-7 belongs to God. It doesn't mean that we're going to be praying for 24 hours straight. But we need to be walking with God and available to God and doing His will at any and every moment of the day. And our talents, whatever He has blessed us with, they are to be at His disposal. You can't have your plans. You remember in the scripture when they talked about the man who said, I'm going to go into such and such a city and I'm going to earn this much money and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And he said, you fool, today your soul will be required of you. Because he said, you know what you're supposed to say? If the Lord will, then I will go into the city and do this and do that. Our plans don't count. It's his plans. It's his purposes. And it's not your pleasures and possessions they are his. Even the wonderful things that we enjoy in this life, they all come from God. They belong to God. You remember this passage as well. Jesus said, He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. The cross was a symbol of self-denial. It was a symbol of sacrifice. And in fact, it was a symbol of death. To yourself, when you began the road carrying that cross to the place of crucifixion, you knew you weren't going to be let go when you got there. You knew you would be nailed to that stake and you would die. And Jesus says, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, he says, you're not what? You're not worthy of me. When you think about all he's done for us, isn't that the very least that you and I ought to be able to do for him? Some of you probably heard of Bruce Larson. And uh, he lived in New York City. Did a lot of counseling down through the years for people who were struggling to know how to surrender their lives to the Lord. And he would counsel them in different circumstances. And sometimes it just seemed like he could never quite get anywhere with some people. And so he said, I used to take them out of my office and say, come with me. We're going to walk down the street. I want to show you something. And he would take them on uh, Fifth Avenue to the RCA building. And if you're at all familiar with the RCA building, you'll know that inside there is a gigantic statue of Atlas who is a, as they say here, beautifully proportioned man who with all his muscles straining is holding the world upon his shoulders. And he's kind of bent down and with all of his strength he's holding the world on his shoulders. He said, that's one way to live your life. He said, come on, I want to show you something else. He walked across the street, across Fifth Avenue, to St. Patrick's Cathedral. Took them back into the corner behind a high altar where there was a small shrine of the boy Jesus, perhaps eight or nine years old, and with absolutely no effort whatsoever, he's holding the whole world in one hand. He said, that's the other way you can live your life. 
You can either take the world upon your shoulders and try to hold it all up and be in control yourself, or you can turn the control over to Jesus Christ and let him hold up your world. Will we submit ourselves to him and say, I give up, Lord, here's my life. Now, I'm just about done. Why should we submit? Why should we do it? Because God resists the proud. We just read that in our passage here, back in verse 6. It says, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God, and he's quoting the Old Testament, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God sets himself against those who rebel against him. You remember, God sent a whale to get Jonah to do what God wanted him to do. How many whales is God going to have to send after you? God sent the prophet Nathan to rebuke King David. David thought everything was all in the past. A whole year's gone by. His sin with Bathsheba. He thinks he's kind of gotten away with it till the Lord sends Nathan the prophet and points the finger and says, David, you're the man. You're the man. God sent a hand to write a message of condemnation on the wall to the wicked king Belshazzar. He's sitting there in a banquet with all of his buddies in wickedness and sin and immorality and debauchery and a hand suddenly appears and writes the message of God on the wall and he turns from a partier to a shaker. Trembling in fear and he does die that night, King Belshazzar. God sent a worm to eat away at Herod till he died. God sent weakness and sickness and even death to get the attention of sinning Corinthians. Listen, if you oppose God in any way, I assure you, God is going to win. That's why we need to submit, because if we do not submit to him, if we choose to resist God, we have to ask ourselves, what might he have to send to get our attention? Lastly, why ought we submit to God? Because God gives grace to the humble. You know, one of the most important things that we can do is bow before God. And not just physically. I know some people that when they pray, they just feel like they need to get on their knees. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Certainly we see that at times in the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. But I tell you what, you can be on your physical needs, but your heart is standing up straight. You remember the little boy that was so disobedient and his mother kept saying to him, if you keep this up, I'm going to put you over there in the corner for a time out. You're going to sit there until I tell you you can get up. And he kept being bad, and he went over, and she finally sat him down in the chair. She says, you are not getting up. And he tried after a few minutes to get up, and she took him over, and she sat him right down. She said, you are staying here until I say you can move. And after a few moments, he looked at her, and he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And I want to suggest to you there are a lot of people who name the name of Jesus Christ who are standing up on the inside. He offers grace 
Strong's Concordance defines this word here, the merciful kindness by which God exerting his holy influence upon souls turns them to Christ. That's salvation. But then he keeps, he strengthens, he increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, and affection and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. In other words, grace doesn't just save you. Grace keeps you, and grace enables you, and grace strengthens you. If you will humble yourself before God, submit to him, give him control, he will give you everything that you need. I close with this quotation from Andrew Murray, a great and wonderful man of God. If you have never read any of the works of Andrew Murray, you need to get your hands on them. He's been with the Lord for a long time now. But he's written some tremendous books, and this is something that he said. He said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. So the question becomes, are you wholly yielded to him? Is he completely in control? Time, talents, Plans, purposes, possessions, pleasures? Is it all about him? Or is it all about you? Is it all about his glory? Or are you getting patted on the back? What is your life all about? If you will submit to God, he will take full responsibility of your life and he will give you all the grace that you need to be able to live in a way that will bring glory to his name. Beloved, we need to submit to God. Every day we need to submit to God anew. It's not enough if you did it a week ago. You need to do it every day. God, please take control of my life today. Don't be atlas. Let him carry the burdens. Give him charge of your life. And his grace will accompany you all the way. But you must humble yourself to receive that grace. May God help us to do so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God today. And we are reminded once again that our lives are to be submitted to you. Because Lord, if we resist you in any way, if we resist your control, you have a way of getting our attention. Just like you did Jonah. Just like you did Herod. Just like you did the Corinthians. You have a way of pointing out, Lord, the areas in which we need to change. And if we resist... If we are rebellious, if we choose carnality, you know how to step in, Lord, to bring us to where we need to be. And Lord, I don't know, but I don't want to have to think about what you might have to do to get my attention if I refuse to listen to you. So I pray you'd teach me. Help me to submit myself fully to you. Help my brethren, Lord, to submit to you. Because only then, Lord, can we resist the devil and know that he will flee from us. Bless your word to our hearts, Lord, and we'll be careful to praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. 
We hope it's been challenging and exuberating and uplifting in your life as it has mine. We hope it helps you walk closer with God and understand Him better and the truth He's laid out for us in His Word. If you've really enjoyed this sermon or it's had a great impact upon your life, leave us an email or go to our Facebook page or our website and just leave a comment that we might know exactly how it's impacted you. It's very uplifting for us to see those things, for it helps us to push forward to continue doing these. Well, that's all I got for time. Until next week, God bless.